film, bawling my eyes out. However, the difference is that the Christian understands why Jesus came to die, and they value it. They value it. And this is what I want us to think about tonight from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. In your worship guide, you can find that on page 13 at the top of the page. And I'm going to read that verse to us. Go ahead and look at that verse with me. The Apostle Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. For the rest of our time, I just want to walk us through this verse together. And before we can understand why Jesus came to die, we rightly need to understand what happened to him. We can't value something that we don't understand or we don't know. In this letter, Peter is writing to Christians scattered throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to encourage them to persevere in their faith in the face of opposition to that faith. And in our passage, Peter is showing these Christians that being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ is ultimately grounded on Christ's willingness to suffer for their sake. Because Christ is victorious over the forces of evil, no one can ultimately harm you when suffering for doing good. That just as Christ's suffering was the route to exaltation, so our suffering is the prelude to glory, as it's been said. So what did this suffering entail for Christ? What exactly happened to him? Well, look at the beginning of the verse right there. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ's suffering here is speaking about his crucifixion. He didn't suffer for his sins. Peter says early in the letter letter that he committed no sin, that he is sinless. Instead, he suffered for our sins. Our sin put him on that cross. Our pride, our lust, Our anxiety, our selfishness, our anger, our ingratitude, our covetousness, our obscene talk, you name it, our sin nailed Christ to the cross. Now, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, animal sacrifices were repeatedly made to pay for the sins of God's people. And these sacrifices were repeated because God's people sinned repeatedly. And yet these sacrifices were insufficient. They were insufficient to be able to finally and fully pay for sins. And what we see in this verse right here is something altogether that is new. Christ's suffering for sins is fundamentally different from those Old Testament sacrifices. It says that he suffered once for sins. What took millions in millions of animal sacrifices through the ages to insufficiently atone for sin forever took one blow with Christ for all of God's people for all of time. The point is that Jesus' sacrificial death is sufficient to pay for sins. But why is it sufficient? Why is it sufficient? 
Well, look at the next verse. Look at the next phrase in the verse. It says, the righteous, that is one, singular, for the unrighteous, or ones, plural, plural, the unrighteous ones. So not just any sacrifice for sin could fully remove our guilt before God. Only a perfect sacrifice can fully pay for sin. And Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. He is the righteous one, the sinless one, whose death was undeserved. No animal nor sinful man could fully atone for sin. Only this sinless man, who is fully man and fully God, could be our substitute. Jesus took our place on the cross, bearing the penalty that we deserve for our sin. His substitution for us not only removes our guilt before God, but it also gives us a right standing before God. Our sins are counted as his, and his righteousness is counted as ours. And this is incredible news for sinners. This is incredible news, but there is a problem. A dead man cannot bring you to God. He can't bring you to God. But he can if he rose from the dead. Peter says he was made alive by the Spirit. Now that's not a religious claim. That's a historical claim. Christ literally rose from death to life by the power of the Spirit, and people saw it with their own eyes. They witnessed it. His victory over sin and death vindicates his death for us. Jesus is the only one with the right and the authority to save sinners from their sin because death had no claim on him. His resurrection is the proof that his crucifixion paid for our sin and removed our guilt. If his crucifixion was the check being cashed, his resurrection was the receipt saying, Paid in full. So we've seen what happened. This is what happened to Jesus. Now that we've seen what happened, we've got to get the more important question behind it. Why? He might bring us to God. Now this implies that we are far from God. We're alienated from God. Our sin is morally reprehensible to God. And because our sin alienates us from his holy and righteous presence, we have no way of getting back to God. Yet, sadly, we and so much of the world oftentimes think that we can. We think that we can. It's as if God is on one side of the Grand Canyon and we are on the other side. And somehow we, along with all other religious systems at times, think that if we just get a running start, Maybe we can jump the canyon and get to God's side. Maybe we can do it. But the problem is, no matter how hard you run, no matter how far you leap, you will always and forever fall to your death. Every time. Just as it is physically impossible for us to jump the Grand Canyon, so it is morally impossible for us to be with God, because we're unrighteous sinners. We are morally bankrupt, and the only thing that we contribute to the cross is our own sin. But as we've seen, 
Christ isn't morally bankrupt. He is the righteous one who stands as our mediator reconciling us to God. Because we couldn't bring ourselves to God, God brought us to himself through his son. He bridged the canyon of sin to bring us to God. And he doesn't just bring you to God's house, leaving you standing at the door. No, he brings you all the way home into the very throne room of God, where you enjoy unhindered access and eternal, loving, life-giving fellowship with no longer your judge, but your heavenly Father. That's what he does. So friend, if, if you are not a follower of Christ, if you are not a follower of Christ, understand that outside of Christ, you are far from God because of your sin. And you still relate to God as judge and not your heavenly Father. Rather than Christ dying for your sin, you will die for your own sin, spending an eternity paying what you owe for that sin. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ so that you may be brought to the one who created you for himself so that you may no longer relate to him as your judge, but rather as your loving father. Turn to him. But the other question that we need to ask is why? Why did God, why in the world did God want us for himself? Why? When you look at that verse, we've got to ask that question. Why did he want us for himself? To be brought to God implies that God wanted us. And we've seen this before in Exodus, where God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to himself and entered into a covenant with them. But why? The Lord says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, that it wasn't because of how numerous and great they were as a people, but because he set his love. He set his love on them, and he chose them as his treasured possession. Why did God want you for himself? Why did he want you? It wasn't because you were more spiritually inclined toward him, or because you were strong or ideal for him. We had nothing to offer or contribute to God. God was not provoked to love because we were somehow lovely. It was solely because he set his love on you. Because he set his love on you. It was love that compelled his heart to bring you to himself and his justice in paying for your sin and his mercy and not giving you what your sins deserve is an act of that love. That is who God is. That's who God is. But how, right? How can you know that? How can you know that tonight? Well, God doesn't pay lip service to his love. He actually acts from that love. He acts from it. Paul says in Romans 5.8 that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus dying for us wasn't to persuade a reluctant father. I just don't know. It wasn't to persuade a reluctant father to be merciful. It was an act of God's own love for you. As it's been said, 
in the death of Christ for us sinners, God intends to put his love for us beyond question. Beyond question. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can know that God loves you. His love for you does not have an expiration date to it. His love for you is like an ocean, as it was once said, without bottom and without shore. That's his love. And out of love, Christ stopped at nothing, at nothing, not even his own death, to have you, to bring you to God. Brothers and sisters, this, this right here, is why Christ came to die. God is the goal of the gospel. He is why Good Friday is good. God doesn't reconcile you to himself to give you more of yourself, but to give you himself. That is such good news. He is why we were created. And yet, I fear that so often, we can miss why the gospel is good news because we get stuck focusing on what it saves us from and not who it saves us to. The greatest gift we could ever receive is the gift of God himself. The greatest gift ever, and that is God. The greatest gift you will ever receive. This is why reconciliation is more just the removal of enmity with God. It's the enjoyment of God's presence without condemnation. Salvation is good news, not just because it saves you from hell, but because you're saved for God. Forgiveness of sins is good news, not only because our guilt is removed, but because we now have unhindered access to the Father. That is why it is good news. What it saves, who it saves, you too. The glory of the cross is that you get God. But is this why you value the cross? Is that why you value it? Do you value it? just to get out of hell? Do you value it to be reunited with family members, to be a better person, to want emotional relief that God is no longer angry at you? Is that why you value it? All of these things can be good things, but they're not ultimately the point of the cross. Christ died to bring you to God, and that is glorious news. You get God. Now, how do you live in light of this? How do we live in light of this? Well, in the context of 1 Peter, understanding this radically reshapes how we respond to suffering. Rather than responding in fear, we can rejoice because the forces of evil don't get the last word. Christ does through his death and his resurrection. And if God is your highest reward, If God is your highest reward, then suffering doesn't have the final word. You can suffer harm for the sake of Christ because Christ suffered to bring you to God. Suffering was the pathway to glory for him, and so it is for you and I. The end of suffering for you is God. It is God. Your glory, your reward, your inheritance It is God in whose presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus calls you blessed. You recognize that, right? 
Matthew 5, Jesus calls you blessed when you suffer for his name. And why the proper response to suffering he calls us to is to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. God is your reward. He is your reward. Brothers and sisters, one mark, one mark of whether or not you value the cross is whether or not you're willing to bear your own. As one pastor once put it, if God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. And we trust him, not by living in fear of suffering, but by rejoicing in it. Because we know that we've been saved, we know what we've been saved from, and who we've been saved to. So this Good Friday, remember why it's good whenever you suffer. Remember why it's good. The triumph of Christ through his death and resurrection should lead us to hope-filled joy in our suffering. So look to the cross. Rejoice, because the fullness of joy in God is your reward. That is why Christ came to die. But do you value it? Will you value it? Let's pray. Great God, we give praise to you that this Friday is good. That your son's blood was shed for us so that we might be yours, your treasured possession. Great God, we praise you for your love for us in sending your son to die for us while we were still sinners. Lord, help us to get the gravity of the cross, not to just know what happened, but to actually value what happened so that it would radically reorient how we live our lives and how we face all forms of suffering today. Help us by your spirit, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, it is to this lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world that we sing of in our next song, or in our final song, Behold the Lamb. Let's stand and let's sing our final song together.